HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. We've been making cheese in Wisconsin since before we were even a state, which may be one reason why we win so many awards for it. It's what happens when a whole state dreams in cheese. Find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Cutting the Curd on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Joe Salonia. It is January 2024. 2024. How is is that even possible? Time is flying. And soon, well, actually, you're listening to this, possibly, while I may be one of the many attending the Winter Fancy Food Show. I've pre-recorded this to make this possible. And many in the cheese industry will attend this winter fancy food show, which um, if you're talking about the Specialty Food Association and the fancy food show, this is something that started back in 1952. It is now 72 years later where the show can attract up to 47,000 attendees, 2,600 exhibitors from 57 countries. And the summer show is still held in New York while the winter show for many years, was in San Francisco until 2020. Uh, San Francisco, the city by the bay, an amazing food city destination. Uh, It may go back to San Francisco, but now it is currently being held in Las Vegas. Las Vegas, right? Uh, About as fancy as a place gets, I suppose. Um, Makes sense if you're going to have a fancy food show. Should it be in a fancy place like Las Vegas or... Does it? Does it not? And what is fancy food? Anyhow, what is fancy? And how does cheese fit into this equation? And is cheese a fancy food simply by definition? Or how do we qualify it? What makes one cheese fancier than the others? Or is that not a way to judge the cheese? Must it be something that gets you a little bit excited or emotional? I tell you, my first experience with fancy foods was back in the late 80s, 90s, because I'm old. And it was a moment I was in New York at a Dean and DeLuca as a culinary student trying out an authentic sun-dried tomato from Tuscany, Italy, out of an oily terrine at this beautiful, bespoke space called Dean and DeLuca. This place was a marvel. I tasted the sun-dried tomato. Uh, It was given to me on a little piece of deli paper. My head, after biting into it, my head nearly exploded with the amount of magnificent sweet layered, bright, umami tomato flavor. This one little piece of tomato delivered. I, I just, I was awestruck. So I bought like a pint of it uh, with what, whatever I could afford. And, uh, and then I bought a fresh mozzarella ball because that made sense. It was near the sun-dried tomatoes. And then I wanted to get something else. So I bought some English Stilton. Uh, that was something I heard of. Hadn't tried it, liked it. Then I moved over to the produce area randomly bought a star fruit because I was curious as to what the heck that tasted like. And then I bought up some tiny sized champagne grapes from France. They made the journey back to, up to my culinary dorm room and had a feast with friends. And from that day on, I was hooked. 
I, in my head, I, I thought that was gourmet fancy foods. I don't even know what I called it at the time, but looking back, that was pretty fancy of a moment for me, spending my week food budget in one day uh, at Dean and DeLuca. So this leads me to talk about and lead on with our next guest. Our next guest has some experience, much experience with fancy foods for sure. She is a Chicago-based cheese professional working over 16 years managing, actually it's now 18 years, I think, I double check that on my math, 18 years managing top cheese counters as a monger, buyer, and restaurant wholesaler. She's also an adjunct cheese professor and has her own business counseling those in the cheese industry and hyping up cheese within the culinary scene in her travels. She now works as the head of education for Rogers Collection, a boutique importer of traditional specialty foods. Please welcome the ever chatty Lydia Burns. Lydia, welcome to Cutting the Curd. Hello. Thank you. Hi, cheese friends. And I, I meant to even say you're, you're the ever cheese chatty, aren't you? Uh, it's always a pleasure to talk with you. I, I love uh, your enthusiasm and passion for for cheese and, and really all foods. Um, Thank you. Yeah. Um, so you just heard my strange ramble about my first fancy food. Um, do, do you, were you thinking about what might've been yours? What's yours? Do you have one? Mine, uh, mine's like, it's harder to pinpoint an exact moment, but I definitely know what sort of, I think ultimately led me to where I am now, which is a longtime cheese professional. Uh, growing up, my mother was an excellent cook. Um, she's a, a life, well, almost lifelong vegetarian. And back when I was growing up, there weren't a lot of resources or vegetarian foods, like fast foods that were readily available. So she had to get creative and sought out really amazing recipes from all over the world that featured vegetables and dairy predominantly. So uh, I grew up around good food, not necessarily fancy, but delicious. And uh, I grew up in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. So access particularly to what we would call fancy cheese or gourmet cheese wasn't really a thing. But um, my second year of college, I studied abroad in Amsterdam. And I recall very vividly and viscerally the first time I went to the farmer's market just down the street from my apartment in the center of Amsterdam. And I tasted goat cheese that had been made that morning by the farmer who was vending it. And I just couldn't believe how delicious, fluffy, fresh, and yet still complex uh, this cheese was. It was unlike any chev or, or fresh goat cheese I, have, I had ever had packaged out of a grocery store. And it really just... Uh, opened my mind up to all the p possibilities that cheese could have. I always knew I loved it, but it wasn't until that moment that I realized it was a food that is has the ability to captivate me for 18 years and running and hopefully, you know, another 18 to 20 more. Um, I think it's just uh, such a wondrous food with so much depth and complexity, com um, complexity, but at its core, it's really humble and approachable. So I love mm. that uh, dichotomy that it embraces. Mm. There's something to be said about the humbleness and the um, excellence of so many of the foods that we may label as fancy, right? It's, it's kind of a, something that really, that we might, maybe we'll come back to that. Um, um, which makes us maybe want to call it that. Um, but you're working for a, uh, you're working for Rogers collection and just from an outsider, I don't know, the, I don't know the company that well, but it's pretty, pretty, uh, fancy collection of, of many uh, different categories in specialty foods channel. But what tell the, tell you, tell our friends in the audience about Rogers collection and what it is you do there. Rogers collection is, I think the best kept secret in the specialty food world. Obviously, I'm a little biased, um, but Rogers Collection is a boutique importer of traditionally farmed foods, and Rogers Collection has existed for almost 30 years, so we are not new. Uh, the business has been around uh, for a really long time, and they were one of the first importers of quality extra virgin estate olive oil in this country, and have since branched out into cheese and other traditional foods as well. 
Um, it's, I think it's a name that not many people recognize because often the philosophy of Rogers has been to promote the brands of our producers and not our own brand. So you might not have be familiar with Rogers collection, but chances are you are probably familiar with some of our products or product lines. Um, I would say the most notable ones are the Piotasini, the Valserena, uh, Sola de Bruna, Parmigiano Reggiano, DOP. Um, and there's a lot of other brands that once people hear that or say, oh, you're the guys that import that cheese. So uh, we've been here for a while, but sort of working behind the scenes to pr promote our producers. Mm. Yeah, I, I remember that being uh, probably one of the things, I mean, the way I got to know Rogers was I, I first tasted, I think my first Iberico or uh, Hamon uh, Iberico de Biota ham in a presentation, and uh, it was Rogers who was presenting that, and I just that that's just that whole notion of what that that food can be just blew my mind, and and um, and uh, just just uh, just understanding what that is is just incredible and inspiring, and yeah, the olive oils just just really rare, beautiful estate olive oils made an impression. Um, and tap, just tell us a little bit, since you mentioned the cheese, Solo de Bruno, what, what exactly is that for our audience? Like, just to clarify, like, what's going on with that cheese? So, um, obviously, cheese is my favorite topic, but, um, you know, we have our, our philosophy extends to all our products, no matter what category it is. But the Valserena is a perfect example of the type of product that we source and bring in the country. Obviously, there are tons of Parmigiano Reggiano DOP in this in this landscape, in this market. Um, but we actually work with a portfolio of heritage breed Parmigiano Reggianos. So mm -hmm. there are three different heritage breeds. Uh, there's fancy Italian names, but to keep it simple, there's the red cow, the brown cow, and the white cow. And uh -huh. we import one of each. Uh, they are all, it's a subconsortio that uh, dictates the parameters of these heritage breed cheeses. And we like to think it's really best in class because the consortio already establishes a high standard of quality that you, has to go into the cheese in order to bear the name Parmigiano Reggiano. And our producers, like let's say Valserena, they choose to go above and beyond those standards. So they are not only using Sola de Bruna, solely the milk of the Bruna Alpina, the famous brown cow from the Alps. Uh -huh. That's uh, the brown one. Yes. The Valserena brought uh, the bull semen down from the Alps in 1879 when they started their farm and have bred their own herd closed ever since. So this uh, cheese is made solely with their own herd of, of heritage breed cows. And so what that means is, you know, in nature, when it takes, it giveth. So when most of the production of Parmigiano Reggiano switched to the industrial breed, the black and white Holstein, uh, what they gained was efficiency, higher yield. But what they lost was some of the quality. And by quality in this instance, I mean specifically solids. So the fats content and the casein protein content of which these heritage breeds have much more than the industrial breed. And so for the milk is just made for cheese. And additionally with the heritage breed cheeses, they all have to be aged a minimum of 24 months, which is twice the standard of the typical consortio, which you can release and sell cheese under the label Parmigiano Reggiano at 12 months. So Right off the bat, you're getting twice the aging, but additionally with a producer like Valserena, they are farmstead, which is virtually unheard of in the Parmigiano landscape anymore. There are not many producers who are raising their own animals, tending mm. to the fields and feed, as well as making the cheese all on their property. And wow. for us, wow. that's part of the secret of this cheese, not just the breed, but the fact that they control every single aspect of the cheese from pasture to the make room. Wow. So this sounds like a rare... I mean, this sounds rare. There's not, this isn't a lot of, uh, not a massive production. Am I, am I correct in, in that? 
Yeah. So um, of our producers, Valserena is the biggest, but that's relative. Valserena produces about 15 wheels a day. That doesn't sound like a lot to me. No, it's a very yeah. finite number. <laughs> yeah. And, and you know, Rock, like my, again, this is outside perspective, um, but Rogers seemingly has a, a, a many rare items. Uh, a lot of them are, it seemed that way anyway. And, um, you know, how does that, is that part of something that's uh, part of the criteria of adding something to the collection or why is that so? Or is it just a coincidence? You just love all the fancy stuff that's rare or, or things that are rare and it just happens to turn into a collection? So I would say that it's not so much that we seek out rare foods or rare ingredients. Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately, that's just sort of a climate of, of the modern world that these products have become rare. Um, mm-hmm. But what we select our, our portfolio based on quality, first and foremost, uh, and, and authenticity is very important to our selection as well. And I realize like that can be kind of a confusing term. What I mean in this particular instance is that we are trying to bring the products that are most traditional, most authentic. So when you go to Tuscany, Italy, there's tons of pecorinos. And while you're there, you're served a lot of soft, uh, delicate, only slightly aged pecorinos. Whereas in this marketplace, most of the Tuscan pecorinos you see are more aged. And obviously that's probably a supply chain issue and just one of the hurdles of importing and going through distribution in general. But we really seek, uh, we, we bring in profiles that are younger, that are more indicative of the cheeses you're served at breakfast and aperitivo when you're in the region. Or one of our big producers from North Africa, uh, Le Moulin Majoub, this amazing, completely uh, farmed line where every ingredient and in every bottle is grown by them by hand on their property. Uh, a level of purity that's like pretty hard to, uh, I think, aspire to anywhere in the world. Um, mm. From them, we bring in Harissa. And Harissa is a staple of the Tunisian cuisine. Uh, They also make a handmade couscous, hamsa, which is also quite different from the couscous we know, but very indicative of their local indigenous cuisine. And uh, that's really what we're seeking out. We want those tastes that transport people back, transport people to the source. Very terroir-driven products. And uh, another... The, the philosophy of our producers overall is, I would say, what unites them, no matter what category they're in. And it's people that uh, are really striving to maintain a certain quality and ethos in their approach to farming and um, preservation of preserving these traditions in the shape of these foodstuffs. And... Um, you know, people that, uh, you know, I think farming, we're in a day and age where farming can get a bad rep, but um, all of our producers, not only are they benefiting from the land, but they're working really hard to give back to it and do and practice sustainable and regenerative farming, which a lot of traditional agriculture is. We just swung so far away from that uh, during the industrial revolution in the modern times. So, it really is. I like to think of our collection as almost like a food preservation society. These are the wow. foods and traditions that we want to continue to exist in an ever in a more challenging landscape. Uh, you know, it's not the cheapest way to do things. It's not the easiest way to do things. But we believe wholeheartedly in what they do, and we want to continue to find the market for these products so that they can continue to exist because a lot mm. of traditional products and farming are, are dying off. I like the way you frame that, you know, you're, you're preserving, you're, uh, you're giving the best examples, but, but, but like you said, it's not that you're seeking out the rare, it's just that they just happen to be becoming maybe from, you know, all the, all the outside forces that they're becoming more and more, maybe they're becoming rare. But that's not the reason uh, that you have it only. It's, it's it meets your values and it's meeting your philosophy, terroir driven, uh, lots of history, um, just uh, the farming methods. It's it's so would you say, um, I mean, how 
important is sustainability or organic sourcing? Is this play right into that or by design? Um, yeah, for sure. I would say it's it's really part and parcel to what we do. Many of our lines are organic. Um, uh, the line I mentioned from Tunisia is organic. Almost all of their products are certified organic. Some of them are not. Um, only a couple. But that's mostly just that they are not certified organic. They are farmed organic. They're still seeking out the certification. It's such a diverse property that they grow so many different things that they haven't received the certification for everything. Mm -hmm. um, you know, this is a producer who makes olive oil they from their own olives in an ancient Etruscan method by hand. And that becomes the base of a lot of their other ingredients. They're sun drying their own cloudy peppers that they grow, tomatoes. They also grow a range of fruits that they make jams and chutneys from, tomatoes, figs, strawberries, apricots, uh, they also grow artichokes and uh, both table olives and olive oil olives. They grow semolina to make their own uh, their own couscous. And it, it to me, it's it's mind boggling that one person can do all of that. Now we would support them whether they were certified organic or not, because that is the quality they are farming to. But I will say there is a lane in this country, there are certain markets, especially, um, you know, whole foods, uh, gourmet markets, more health markets that are specifically seeking out organic, certified organic products. Mm -hmm. So we do have a subsect of our customers that specifically seek that out. Um, mm -hmm. Sustainability, you know, it's not something, it's a term that I feel like kind of falls into this nebulous category of marketing. Like it could mean something, but it could also mean nothing depending on how it's it's used and in what context. But I, I would say our producers are quite sustainable. Again, that just goes back to the ethos and their dedication to farming in more traditional manners. And another thing that I would say is really exciting to me as a, a true cheese nerd about a lot of the cheeses we're dealing with and the producers we're working with um, is that they are using, as I mentioned with the, the Parmigiano, they're using indigenous heritage breed animals. And I've really gone down the rabbit hole since working with Rogers because a lot of our producers are based in Spain and there is a vast diversity of indigenous breeds of sheep and goat Um that just don't exist anywhere else in the world. And my experience has been that their milk is exceptionally high quality, particularly for cheese making. And we even have some producers that have created their products to preserve indigenous breeds that are otherwise on the verge of extinction. So there's certainly, again, not just a sustainable sort of approach, but a uh, uh, preservation a yeah, yeah. That's a better word, isn't it? Though preservation is is really a, a cool word. Really, if you're going to think about the word sustain, sustainable, almost these days to me, I don't know if it got less popular, but I guess there was a marketing vibe to it. But to me, it means like, can we keep doing this? That's what sustainable means to me. But I yeah. think it means something different in the uh, sustainable slash organic slash free trade. Those words were big like five, seven, ten years ago. But like what you're saying. Pres you know, preservation, like let's, let's uphold this thing. Let's not, you know, with all the, again, all the, all the headwinds of like climate change and uh, economic stresses and, uh, you know, just the, the bigger pull towards more industrialized food. Let's make sure like the most beautiful foods don't go away. Right. Like that's, yeah. that's my interest and passion. I think, I think I, sh I don't think I'm unique. I think we all share that, that for those that are like you and I that are in this uh, quote unquote specialty food channel or fancy food world, you know, fancy food. I'm using this. So you're going to hear the word fancy a lot on this episode because the fancy food quite literally is starting this weekend um, in, in, in Las Vegas. Um, and you know it, why it's in Las Vegas. So I think I, I meant to mention earlier, I think part of the reason was that it was hard to keep uh, the San Francisco venue going with COVID restrictions and, uh, and to find another city maybe where there could be enough hotel rooms and logistics for everybody to 
commonly meet and, and collect and, and do do the networking and the and the and the trading and the trading of ideas and, and showcasing, which is what the fancy food is known for. But are are you are someone from Rogers attending the fancy food show in Las Vegas? We are actually not this year. We are uh, taking a break as a team. We will be mm-hmm. at the New York Fancy Food Show, um, which is, mm-hmm. you know, our our warehouse is in New Jersey. So New uh-huh. York is, so I guess as much of a home market as we have. Um, so we are not exhibiting, but we will be at the New York show. Some of our producers will be exhibiting in their own booths. Uh-huh. Um but we did, uh, me and my managing director, Carrie, attended the show in Las Vegas last year. So it, we're just, we're a small team and we sell across mm-hmm. the whole country. And we just kind of have our eyes on, on other areas uh, this first quarter. But, you know, it's, it's definitely a show we have a long history with as a business. And then I have uh, history with as an individual and a buyer as well. Well, yeah, I mean, it's... Um... It's a, it's a, it's a lot of resources to, to either attend or show there. Even if you just walk the show, it's, you know, the question is, you know, you only, we only have so much limited time and resources and, and we have to measure whether it's worth, worth going. Right. Um, and, uh, and, you know, worth the schlep or worth the, uh, being able to, to put a booth together, putting a booth together is a, a lot of work. Um, yes. so yeah. And, and in New York, if you're more local to your warehouse, it's going to be half as easy than, than getting it out to, uh, another, another uh, city um, and dealing with all that. I would say too, um, another, you know, another shift that probably has impacted our specific business because the fancy food show, let's face it, it's a, it's, it's a broad market. We're all under the umbrella of specialty foods, but there's Mm -hmm. a pretty broad swing in both the size and scale of the customers and the specialty food uh, companies that exhibit there. You know, we have tiny little boutique niche businesses like us. And then there's companies like Jelly Belly or Haribo, you know, and everything in between. So I think for certain aspects of the industry, Vegas might make more sense for our specific profile. And our customers tend to be specialty cheese shops and specialty grocers and specialty food shops that the San the San Francisco market was more conducive uh, and more representative of where like our customers are. We don't mm-hmm. really have a lot of independent shops in Vegas or if there are them, we, we don't sell to them. And Vegas can be a little tricky with uh, the whole uh, uh, casino industry and the mm-hmm. way like you have to be a certified vendor. There's a lot of rules and regulations there. So it's a little bit more complicated for us in terms of like, so it's not really a huge market for us. So I think um, for us moving that show to Vegas, you know, took out the aspect of also being able to visit a customer, mar- a, a really viable customer market base for us. So you know, we, we still find it, it can be helpful, but again, you know, we don't get that one, two punch we do like when we're in New York or San Francisco. And that one, two punch is, is a big deal for, especially, I think for most of the listeners and for, I mean, this is the cutting the curd podcast, you know, like, let's like, so that's our channel. It's, it's, um, handmade small production most of the time, or, or, you know, it's, it's cheese, you know, the cheese, the cheese industry, really, I, I don't know if I, I can't speak for everybody, but I can speak for myself is that I much prefer the San Francisco location for the exact same reasons that you mentioned. And, and even, even knowing that there's, even if you want to go a little farther to the wine country, I mean, there's cheese yeah. shops up there too. You can, you know, change a climate, change of atmosphere. It's, it's a, it's a delight to be able to put an extra day or two on and go visit cheese shops or, or, or see some food and wine up in that area. Well, and additionally, when I was a buyer, a big perk of going to the San Francisco show was that it usually meant I could get a ride with someone to visit some producers in Sonoma or Sebastopol, which is a quick drive from the city and an area that I've always bought a lot of cheese from. And so, you know, anytime I can get to the farm and see, you know, pet a cow, hang out with goats, that to me is 
invaluable. And you don't really get a lot of that in Vegas. <laughs> no, um, actually, that's a one, two, three punch, right? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's what we, yeah, the producers, cheese producers, you got, you're seeing shops, you're going to the show, you're seeing shops, and you can go visit cheese producers all in one trip, one plane ticket. That's massive yeah. for, our, for our channel. Uh, but yeah, the fancy food show, like you said, they they they're they have to think of everything all encompassing the water companies, the jelly bellies of the world, and and you know the, the chip don't companies. get me wrong, I am yeah. always excited to see the reveal of the new innovative flavor from Jelly Belly at the fancy food <laughs> show every year. It might uh-huh. not ever have anything to do with any of the jobs that I've had, but yeah. I do I do have my own set of um what I like to yeah. call fancy like a fancy food show scavenger hunt that I used to sort of play for my own entertainment when I was, I when I was a buyer, when you're a producer, you're, you're on the other side of the table. It's a, a, a different experience. It's a different lens. And I love myself a bowl of jelly bellies. Um, but Hey, let's just put a pin in that because we just need to take a short break right after a message from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin cheese. There's a reason when you think of Wisconsin, you think cheese. Cheese is a huge part of Wisconsin's history and future. In Wisconsin, the state of cheese, the tradition of cheesemaking excellence began 180 years ago, before Wisconsin was recognized as a state. Immigrants traveled to settle in this lush, green hills of Wisconsin, bringing their cheesemaking traditions with them. These storied skills combined with the freshest milk available created a cheesemaking culture that is uniquely Wisconsin. Wisconsin's 1,200 cheesemakers, many of whom are third and fourth generation, continue to pass on old world traditions while adopting modern innovations in cheesemaking craftsmanship. Find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com. Okay, welcome back, everyone. We're here chatting with bonafide cheese professional and fancy food aficionado, Lydia Burns from Rogers Collection, about fancy food, or asking the question, what is fancy food anyhow? So, so Lydia, we're going to name this episode, what is fancy food anyhow? Uh, I thought a fun question to ask, get people talking. I think a good question to ask ourselves from time to time. Uh, so what do you, what do you think? Uh, what makes a fancy food or what makes a food fancy and how does cheese play into that? So fancy is a word that I probably use a lot, but more cheekily. I love words and I love the creativity of expression and sort of the multiple playing with the multiple meanings of words. So fancy is a word that is pretty astounding because it actually has a pretty broad range of meanings depending on the context. Um, You know, I think, cheese 100% is fancy in its design, meaning something that is elaborate and complex and a thing of wonder. Um, Or maybe it's also like, it's a flight of fancy for some producers where they can really use all their imaginative faculties to develop something truly unique and wondrous. And I know for a fact that cheese is something that is often fancied by people. Um, But I, I think sometimes fancy can imply a position of status um, or something that's coveted. And I reject that usage of the term when it comes to cheese. Cause as I mentioned before, I think although it has been enjoyed by, uh, you know, royalty, the wealthy high status people throughout history, it was originally, um, you know, a very humble food that was created by our founding farmers in order to preserve the nutrition and last through the harsh winters. So, you know, I always like to go back to that source because there is an intimidation factor when it comes to cheese, much like wine, that people can be daunted. And I never want to put up barriers. Cheese is and always has been for everyone. You do not need to know about it for, to, for it to be for you. And, you you know, you don't have to... Um, 
you know, you don't, it doesn't have, you don't have to be come from a position of status or wealth to enjoy it as well. I mean, obviously good cheese is not cheap, but, um, I, I never like to create walls or, or say that, you know, cheese is like to put it up on a pedestal and say that, you know, you have to know a certain amount to enjoy this cheese or understand this cheese or, um, to even like give you a taste of something. And that might be the Midwest coming out in me because I noticed a pretty distinct difference in the approach of mongers when I moved from New York to Chicago. In New York, you know, you get that like more hardened, you know, shop owners who will like kick people out for asking dumb questions. And in the Midwest, it's just different. You know, everyone's a little bit more earnest. And with the proximity to Wisconsin, um, you know, there's a lot of people that would come into my store and ask for pepper cheese or, you know, and if you said you wouldn't carry a pepper cheese because you don't want to you don't want to buy or, you know, have a cheese with stuff in it, you know, in your case, then automatically you're alienating that customer. Whereas if you bring in a really good version of the cheese that they want and you give that to them, then it opens up their minds to what cheese can be. And it also builds trust, um, that you're not judging them and that like you understand what they want, but you also are the expert and can deliver the best in class of that product to them. And I don't think anyone's, everyone, their own tastes, only they are the gatekeeper of what they enjoy and what they want to eat. It's not my place to tell you what to eat, but I can tell you how these products are made and, you know, what is maybe the most thoughtful version of the cheese that you're seeking out. Mm -hmm. They can make an educated choice, but you, you just said, I mean, something that might, might go up on the wall here. I mean, this is a good quote. Cheese is a humble food made by our founding farmers. Did you said something right after that? Right. I mean, right there, that's an incredible line. And did you say something right after that? Made to sustain uh, us? Or made to- yeah. To, to provide sustenance, um, throughout the winter, the harsh winters when they can't grow crops or have access to their other primary sources of food. But I just love I mean, that's, that's a great line, Lydia. Cheese is a humble food made by our founding farmers, made to sustain us or, you know, as you said, the longer version there, uh, get us uh, through the, the tougher time. But that's, that's really fantastic. I hope our listeners can appreciate it. That's a little, that's a real gem you gave us there, Lydia. <laughs> that's a pearl. Um, but it's funny you mentioned the New York thing. Well, well, could that have been just one or two shops at one or two moments in time that kind of got a little press about how rude they might have been about people? But I mean, I don't know if the whole you you, you oh, lived sure. in New York, right? You lived I in did. New York, right? Yeah. So you have your you know first. I started in cheese in New York um, yeah. in 2005. Um, so it's quite a bit, quite a long time ago. But you know, I, I would say there's just a different. The clientele is different in New York than in Chicago, for sure. You have a much more international customer base. Um, But I I would just say there's a there's a slightly different approach to mongering. And, you know, my my data points are pretty outdated. So this is a back in the day conversation. (laughs) But that's fair. That's fair. Um, and and there's nothing wrong with it. It's just uh, uh, there's a difference, I think, in the tastes. And um, the markets themselves and the type of people in them. And, you know, once I came to the Midwest, everything that I learned in New York was not viable. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I think like in general, my values are I want the guest experience. If I'm in the shop or in in providing a service of food to anybody, I want the guest experience is my priority. Right. So if that vision is lost, then. I mean, as, as me, as a guest, I'm, I, if I feel that, then I'm not going to dig shopping in that store. So if, if someone is saying that, you know, they don't have something because they don't like it or, 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 or put a positive spin, you know, if I'm asking for pimento cheese, I want some pimento cheese, you know, it's okay. Um, and pimento cheese is delicious. I make I mean, an excellent one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I prefer to make it myself, but like, I, I get it. Sometimes you just need to buy it already made if you're on the run, you know, if you're, you need a car snack. Uh, and you're in, you know, you're you're traveling. You're gonna buy a tub, of, gonna buy a tub of it. You can't wait to yeah. get home and it if you didn't pack it right. So um, I think everything has its place. Um, so um, 
it's just uh, yeah i like the way you framed all that it's that was really great i hope everybody was uh, taking some notes there um but the um so when, when also what about other specialty food shows right there's there's a lot of other specialty food shows i mean we're talking about the fancy food show but we're really just talking about fancy food too but obviously the sfa specialty foods association fancy food show coming up this week so that's why it's a topic or or could, you could be listening to it you know, while it's happening, because it's the show is being aired, um, it will be released during the, the the fancy food show on the Monday. But the um, there's other there are other uh, specialty uh, shows, uh, there specialty food shows that being maybe centering around handcrafted small production uh, foods, cheeses especially. Um, I wonder if they have a potential to grow more, uh, or maybe being small is their their asset, like the good food mercantile. Uh, sometimes I think I've heard that sometimes dubbed as the unfancy food show, but I don't know. That's just a just a, a fun thing that people say to each other. Or is have you heard that before? That it's called well, the unfancy food show. So this is this is some real insider industry nerdy stuff. But um, I'm pretty sure the unfancy food show was a different event that used to happen before uh-huh. the good food mercantile started. Ah. Um, but there used to be an unfancy food show event in, uh, this was before my time of going to the food shows. So I've only heard legend of it, but I can't recall if it was in San Francisco or New York or both, but it was, a. it was before there was officially the good food mercantile. But my understanding is that it was just sort of, a uh, and an enclave for those smaller producers that can sometimes get lost in the the larger context of the the fancy food show. Got it, right? But but the small the, one of the benefits of visiting a smaller producer, though, right, is that you many times will meet the actual maker of the product that's sitting right in front of them. They're like the maker, and then you see what they make, and you know, like it's one 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 slide. You're seeing them, and you're seeing their product. And uh, I mean, for this, it's great to visit like where states have their own cheese festivals, like, say, for instance, the California Cheese Festival, the Oregon Cheese Festival, the Vermont Cheese Festival, Massachusetts. Maybe New York is going to start one up uh, or maybe they have one and I'm not aware. Wisconsin has some pretty amazing cheese events. Probably go down the line. I mean, it would be good to have a list in one place, like all the states in just one page, you know, to like where to attend in this way, um, all the the cheese professionals listening could maybe hone in on, Oh yeah, let's not miss this one. Or I can drive here. I'm closer to this state than that state. Let's drive and, and go there if there is one or, or do a, do a tour if the date is close enough. Um, yeah. The, uh, but then there's a, then there's this massive, uh, bra cheese festival, right? The slow cheese, slow, or they call it cheese, slow food. And in Italy, um, pretty amazing, but that, these are all ways to meet the, um, meet the, 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 the cheese makers and, or, or producers of whatever, whatever product usually sending around, around cheese. Is that, um, so would, what would, would your company or you be inclined to visit one of these type shows or would you go to the ones in Europe or Asia, like Salon du Fromage or Anuga in Cologne, Germany for your speed or. When I was a buyer, obviously it was all fair game because I was sourcing domestic as well as imported products. Now that I work for an importer, uh, it's a little different. Um, There isn't much reason for me to go to a Vermont cheese festival except my own Mm -hmm. personal passion and curiosity. Um, Mm -hmm. But uh, there... We do participate and our producers exhibit at a lot of the shows in Europe. Um, Mm. You know, you mentioned Bra, which is a festival. It's not a trade show, though lots of people in the industry come for the reason you mentioned, because the most traditional producers of cheese from all over the world are there exhibiting, you know, selling their cheeses directly to the public. So it's such a rare opportunity to really meet the most amazing inspired cheesemakers from all over Europe and even beyond. Um, you know, we also, they also have some American producers represented there and then ones from further afield. Uh, and it's truly a magical event. Um, it's just an entire tiny town taken over by, you know, the most passionate food advocates. So uh, it's really a special place to be. And I was there in September. Um, 
a bunch of our producers were exhibiting. And then uh, we additionally, because all of our cheeses, so our our collection, the heart of it is the Mediterranean. And mm-hmm. by that, I mean the full Mediterranean. I think a lot of people, when they think of the Mediterranean, they just think of the European part of it. But as I mentioned before, one of our oldest uh, producers is from... Tunisia. So we represent the full Mediterranean, the Maghrib, the whole north of Africa. Uh, And then additionally, we uh, bring in some Levant specialties as well. But for cheese and meat, we are based in Spain and Italy solely. So uh, we attend and our producers often exhibit in Alimentaria, which is an amazing food show in Barcelona that happens every other year, as well as Salon Gourmet, which is in Madrid. And they are there every year. I love this show. I am obsessed with the Salon Gourmet. Uh, It's right in the city. And I think Spain is just one of the most fascinating places with the most, uh, my mind just gets blown at every corner of that show. There's so much innovation as well as uh, tradition and reverence to their, um, you know, indigenous breeds and what really separates them uh, that I find it quite inspiring. And and a lot of the products don't make it out of the country. Uh, And then we also participate in a lot of shows in Italy, Taste, which is in Florence, uh, Chibis, which is in Parma, and um, also Tudo Food. I believe Tudo Food and Chibis rotate every other year. Um, Tudo Food is in Milan. Chibis is in Parma. But Parma is a very important region for us, not just with um, the Parmigiano Reggianos that I mentioned, the three producers we work with. But additionally, one of our top lines is the Pio Tassini Prosciutto de Parma. And so it's, it's always nice to be at a show where we can take our customers directly to our producers so they can witness firsthand what makes these producers special instead of just listening to me ramble on about it. I love giving someone else the stage, right? It makes it, the product speaks for itself. Um, uh, right? You let, let the, let the product speak for itself and let the producers show up. You rattle off quite a list of things there. That sounds, they all sound pretty amazing. Um, and uh, it sounds like it would make for a busy schedule. So that is your, travel schedule quite busy or you keep a balance when you, when you want to, or you're able to attend or, or entertain guests there? We, we kind of, um, I'm one of the newest members to the Rogers team. Um, so I was consulting for them for a little bit. I started in 2020, uh, and then I became a full-time employee in 2022. Um, and so we're still sort of carving that out. I, love traveling and I love going to the source. I, I, my role is actually specifically the head of education working, uh, in our very small sales team. Um, so we all kind of do a little bit of everything, but I'm really the product type person. Um, and so it's really invaluable for me as the educator. Uh, it's, so much easier for me to tell the story when it's tangible. So anytime I can get to a producer, it's, you know, it it just helps us educate all of our customers and all of our internal team about the nuances of what they're doing, or maybe what's changed since the last time someone's visited. Um, So those shows are a great opportunity to do that. But I also am only one of three people on our sales team that sells to the full country. So the reality is, is I can't really be in Europe all year long. Um, That's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So me and our managing director, we tend to go to the shows overseas, at least since I've come on, but we sort of split them up in a way that makes sense. So last year I was really focused on Spain and I went to uh, the Salon Gourmet in Madrid and brought some customers over and we toured producers, both cheese and olive oil producers before the show, um, which was incredible. And then this year, I'm kind of switching my focus a little bit more to Italy. You know, um, 
you know, it's, it's, it's a tough job. Someone's got to do yeah. it. Well, um, how, do you, how are you going to do it? How are you going to do it, Lydia? I don't know. But yeah. Like, but like, you know, it's kind of a, a switch, a switch hit. So since I spent a lot of time in Spain last year, uh, Carrie spent more time in Italy. So we're kind of flip-flopping this year. She will be going to Alimentaria, uh, soon. That show is in February, I believe. And she's also going to be visiting many of our producers, uh, while she's overseas. Well, I hope you're able to bring the stories home because it sounds like if we're going to uh, take a couple takeaways here, just kind of boiling down what is fancy food. I think you said, I think you made a great comment. Cheese is a humble food made by our founding farmers. Um, that right there could be a definition of of uh, something like, like is humble actually one of the prerequisites to being fancy? And my, my takeaway is, is a, a fancy food teaches us something or inspires us. And I, and I hope I like that, that. Because, it leaves a little more open-ended. <laughs> yeah. A little more open-ended and, and, you know, and I hope that the listeners today were inspired by your, your many musings about um, what you're doing. And uh, so I want to thank you for joining me today on cutting the curd, talk about what's going on with you and your world and the fanciest of foods at the fanciest of shows. Which I will not be at, but everybody enjoy. I'll miss you all. <laughs> but we'll see you in New York or yes, in between, sure. right? Yes. Yeah. And thank you for having me and helping me tell the story of Rogers. So. It has been a pleasure. And we love hearing, uh, we'd like to hear more from you maybe in the future. Please come back. I'm always happy to come back. In case you haven't noticed, I love talking about cheese. You're the ever cheese chatty Lydia Burns. Exactly. Absolutely. <laughs> All right, everyone. You can follow Lydia on Instagram at stinky underscore squirrel. That's S-Q-U-I-R-L. And you can follow us on Instagram at cutting the curd. You can follow Heritage Radio at heritage underscore radio. And you can follow me at stingchef. Please listen and subscribe to Cutting the Curd via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Also, if you enjoy the show, please give us a five-star rating. It will mean so much and also really help us broaden our audience. Lastly, the Ann Saxelby Legacy Fund window to apply is still open until March 15th. Go to annsaxelbylegacyfund.org and get online and apply now, people. Okay. Thanks, everyone. And if you love someone, send them cheese. is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.